forever. Dog. Hi, everyone. It's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. You may know me as the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh, I've written for television, for film, for comic books, for audio. Check out our uh, Audible series, Cut and Run, which stars Meg Ryan, Darcy Carden, Sam Richardson, and an all-star cast. It's really fun. We're very happy with how it turned out. You can check that out on Audible. I started doing this podcast almost 10 years ago because I wanted to have conversations about the business and process of writing with the people who were actually doing the writing of the television and films that I loved. I've learned so much over these almost 500 episodes. Um, and there's no slowing down. As long as everyone keeps making great TV and great movies, I'm going to find out how they did it. <laughs> it's endlessly fascinating to me. And if you're the kind of person who watches DVD extras, it's probably fascinating to you too. I'm lucky that there are so many of you who do find these conversations interesting and hopefully inspiring, as I always do. It's 2021. I'm recording this in early March. Um, and I think the last time I recorded an intro was like a year ago. So it seemed like a good time to do that. Um, hey, how are you all doing? What a year. Was it great for you? Probably, right? I mean, how could it be bad? <sighs> this has been uh, an interesting, you know, year, year and a half. Um, Thanks to all of you who have continued listening to the podcast. We have slowed production um, because who wants to record a podcast, right? I assume we all sort of had that feeling last year, like, is it worth it? I should just sort of lay low and hold close my loved ones. Um, so I hope you did that. And I hope, you know, you were overall healthy and safe and kept yourself sane. Um we did have some good episodes last year. I was really happy to meet and talk to a lot of those creators and writers. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, my year was, of course, strange. Um, a good thing that came out of it is that, God, probably in mid-March of 2020, um, my wife was like, hey, we should put on a show. You should do a Thrilling Adventure Hour show. Uh, people are stuck at home. They want to watch something. They want to take their minds off the world for an hour. Um, let's see if there's a way for us to do that over, you know, Zoom or, or something similar. Um, and she's smart and she was right. And we did a thrilling show and it was a great success and people really wanted it. It took her about three weeks to talk me into it. Um, and over the course of that time, we realized there was not at the time any all-in-one virtual venue, somewhere you could buy tickets and also watch the show. There was nothing that you could do where like you got a producer as part of the show. So um, again, my wife is very smart. And so she suggested we create one. Um, between us, we kind of knew how to do this. Um, she's in the nonprofit world and she's pretty tech savvy. Um, so she could work with some charities and figure out where the money could go from these endeavors. Um, and I know how to produce a show. And so, and I had the network to sort of reach out and ask people if they wanted to do shows. So that's what we did. And between March of last year and March of this year, we did about 60 shows, uh, all kinds. We did, you know, one of our first big shows with the Mr. Show reunion. Uh, Bob and David got the whole gang back together and did a show. Um, we did a Wet Hot American Summer reunion. 
uh, that was for the Biden campaign. So I'm saying, you know, we're probably responsible for getting him elected. Um, I got to do some fun, weird stuff that I really wanted to do, including a read of the Briscoe County Jr. Uh, script um, with Carlton Cuse uh, and Bruce Campbell and a lot of the returning cast, but also some some actors who I really love. Um, I got to do a read of the um, Heat Vision and Jack script with Jack Black uh, and Rob Schraub, and um, we couldn't get Owen Wilson, and so Taika Waititi joined us and did that, and like... It was bonkers. Um, all this stuff. John Hamm was in it. Like, we had a lot of fun um, doing a lot of shows. We wound up raising over a million dollars for various charities um, through all the shows. Um, so it feels like we did something worthwhile in addition to having something to keep busy and keep safe uh, and keep sane and work with creative people. Um, yeah, so that's that's no small thing. Um, anyway, we're continuing to do it because we really like it. If you go over to houseseats.live, houseseats.live, um, we've slowed it way down. We're only doing a few shows a month, but we have a bunch coming up. Um, so check it out. Uh, there's cool stuff coming, um, including live versions of some of my favorite podcasts, including the Best Pick Pod, which is an Academy Awards podcast. Um Celebrity Book Club with Chelsea DeVantes, who is just a terrific person and very funny. Um, we have an amazing guest for that. We're doing some more Thrilling Adventure Hour stuff. Um, check it out. Uh, I, I would love to keep doing these live shows um, in this format and also, you know, in person would be fun to do also. Um, How Seats.Live was sort of the thing that kept me going last year in many ways, um, in addition to cooking and baking a lot, um, because there was no work. Uh, I know that there were virtual rooms. I know they were out there. I know there was some staffing, um, but it was tough. It was tough out there. Um, I don't think I got paid for any writing work last year, and that's frustrating. Um, and when Ben Acker and I realized that, that was going to be the case. Um, we had a couple things die early on because of the pandemic. Um, and then I, I don't know, we've talked about this on the podcast too. Like it was hard to get any traction. It was hard to get any momentum going because people's minds were not on work as well. They shouldn't be. Um, anyway, when we saw that this is probably going to be the case, um, we did the thing that we were able to do, which is to write. Um, and, we were lucky that we got to do it. Um, but I do think, you know, as writers, it's the thing we always have, right? You can write. You can take out a pad of paper. You can take out, sit down at your computer. You can write something. So we wrote two new feature scripts um, that we're really happy with. They're both horror movies. Um, I'm making a concerted effort to write more horror. Um, horror is what I've always loved. And I feel like I wasn't allowed to do it for a long time. And you can tell personal stories through that genre um, in a way that you sometimes can't through other genres. Um, so we wrote these two new horror features. We're really excited about them. We're hoping, you know, <laughs> someone will want to make them. Um, we wrote two new pilots also um, because we wanted to. Uh, you know, one of them was something that I had been thinking about all year. And I know that other people were as well. Um, it captured a lot of sort of the 
both comfort and and what if uh situation that we're in um and you know it took a lot of churning over but luckily what we had last year was time <laughs> i guess that's the one thing we had in addition to a pandemic um so we wrote this new pilot that um i'm really excited about and i really care about and that's very personal and i hope that someone will want to take a look at it um so that's where we are uh, i've talked to a lot of writers and a lot, a lot of executives um and it seems like we're still in a kind of a desert and it's going to be a weird time in hollywood for a while and stuff is getting made production you know is slowly starting up again rooms are starting up again still virtually for the time being which is good um it's going to be a while till things are normal. Um, and it's still hard out there. It's still really hard. But again, we can write. So do that. Um, I'm doing it, and I hope you will too. Put new stuff out into the world. Please enjoy the show. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. Before we get into today's episode, please take a moment to do two things. One, go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Best Pick Podcast. It is the most fun. Uh, I love this show, and you'll hear me talk about it with the hosts of the podcast in just a minute. Um, But it's an Academy Awards based podcast in which the host uh, watch a different Oscar-winning movie every episode in no particular order, and the conversations are fascinating and funny and charming, and I think you'll like it as much as I do. We're doing a live show on May 1st with the hosts, as well as special guests Rachel Bloom, Melissa Fumero, John Ross Bowie, Michaela Watkins, and more. You can find out about that show, get tickets, and uh, watch the show at houseseats.live. Here's the episode. Best pick. This is how a podcast starts. Um, (laughs) Welcome, folks, to this very special, let's call it a crossover episode, with the Best Pick podcast which is one of my favorite shows out there right now. I'm such a big fan, so I'm so thrilled to talk to the hosts of the show. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background, for the past several years, uh, John Dorney, Jessica Regan, and Tom Slinsky, who are film fans from London, have been working their way through every Academy Award-winning Best Picture winner in no particular order and recording the results as a podcast on the Best Pick pod. Um, It's a fun show. They're nearly done with their run uh, in the next month or so, you'll be able to listen to the last few episodes, but I would urge folks to go back and listen to all of the ones. Um, and it may seem daunting at first, but I'll say pick pick a movie that uh, you're familiar with. That's a great jumping, jumping on point. Uh, a couple of favorites of mine that I will recommend. The Forrest Gump episode. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Definitely worth a listen. Um, And the Chicago episode, which is a film that I had not seen until listening to the podcast, but the conversation was so interesting um, that it got me interested in the movie and I then watched half of it. Um, Thank you all for being here, uh, John, Tom, and Jess. I want to start by asking um, why undertake this enormous project? (laughs) How did it, how did it start to come together? Well, I think for me, 
it started in 2009 in a weird way. Dude. Oh, wow. Because uh, 2009, two things happened which were unrelated. One is that I thought it would be a fun idea to try and watch all of the Best Picture nominees before the ceremony. I'd always been kind of keen on films, keen on the Oscars, and I thought that would be a fun idea. The other thing which happened is the Academy decided to double the number of Best Picture nominees, which I don't think I was expecting when I set myself that task. Uh, but I kept that up. Uh, and in fact, 2009 was the only year I missed one because, try as I might, I could not bring myself to watch The Blind Side. <laughs> it was just, I, every, I would like uh, cue it up and be like, uh, no. Uh, so that is the only one I missed. Uh, and that led to wanting to have Oscar parties at which Jess and John were frequent attendees. And then a funny thing happened, if I may. Shall I jump in there, Tom? Please. Okay. So um, I realised that, you know, one of my favourite things to do was to discuss films and TV with these gentlemen. Um, but alongside that, I got, believe it or not, um, do you guys know of a show called Mastermind? Mm -hmm. yeah, okay, so so I was asked to go on the Celebrity Mastermind in the UK in 2017, and my specialist topic was Quentin Tarantino. And I was like, Tom, will you drill me? I need to rewatch everything. Now, you know, the, the prize was, you know, three. Luckily, every every participant got to donate money to, to the charity of their choice, but like it was for the glory, you know, and to not make a fool of myself on that black chair um so I, I asked for Tom's assistance and we were just sort of watching these films going through the canon you know and discussing them and be really surprised actually at some rewatches. we were like oh my god Jackie Brown is everything and oh Jane, is that what I remember <laughs> and you know all these kind of mixed assessments and we just sort of put our heads I was like we've got to do a film podcast and I think Tom is it fair to say you were a little bit reticent because you thought it was maybe a saturated market? I thought there were a lot of good film podcasts out there and I wanted to know what we would add to the corpus before I jumped in with both feet, yeah. And I think it was just a lovely kind of yes-anding moment in your house where it was like, what do we do? What do we do this? What was Oscar? What was Best Picture? And that's kind of how I remember it. Like, we just kept on. And then we we, we didn't even... We sort of informed Dorney he was doing a, a podcast with us. Yeah. We didn't particularly <laughs> ask or consult. We were like, yeah. oh, by the way, um, come on Saturday, research the sting. Cool, bye. Well, I'm mean, not quite as bad as that. But does is that sound fair to you, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that I was going to say, yeah, and I just hang out with them. That's that's my side of the story. And he's John. Um, actually, actually, genuinely, because I think I think at least part of it was down to the fact that the three of us had um, Tom's aforementioned Oscar parties were the most obsessive attendees of yeah. the Oscar party. We, we other people would like go to sleep at like a, like at a, like at a reason. I was going to say at a reasonable hour. I was going to say like you know three thirty. Yeah, and uh, we were like we we would get to the end to the every end. time, and it, we would, time. it was every year. Every minute of it was yeah. was like obsessively. It became, we've genuinely said at one point it was as big a fixture in, in our annual calendar as Christmas. Yeah, uh, okay. you know, it, yeah. it's the. I'm looking forward to every year. Oh, there's the Oscar party. We'll do that. Um, yeah, and I, I was I, I've always been the sort of a, a reasonable. Uh, have have a reasonable store of, of film trivia and film knowledge, so I, I could do quite well at the. Uh, the, the, the sweepstake and all those sort of things and the, the, the Oscar quizzes that we would do. Um, so I've got a, a few, I've got a slightly sponge-like memory for some of these sort of silly facts, um, which I suppose were some of the things I brought to the table. 
I think what makes it uh, quite unique is the constraint we give ourselves in that we watch it all together in a controlled yeah. environment, as scientific <laughs> as that sounds. But we're not sort of watching these films on laptops on our own on a train or on our own speed. No. We it was it was a real ritual. It was like, what are we eating? Well, well, what time are we meeting? Then what are we eating before the film? What are we what are we eating during the film? What are we eating after the film? Like snacks are important. Some of those films are three and a half hours long. Um, <laughs> but that kind of pausing the podcast. And I also thought that would be great for people who maybe didn't want to film spoils. They could listen to half and then see if they're like, oh, that doesn't sound like my thing. I can listen to the rest of it. You know, um, uh, yeah, there are a couple it, it, it of excluding. Yeah, there are a couple of influences on us as we kind of evolved the format. Uh, I was a I was keen on shows like No Such Thing as a Fish where people have done research and they can come back and have the pleasure of springing a fact on their colleagues that they didn't know. Yeah. And then another podcast that actually I, I don't listen to very often but I should because it is good. It's one called The Cinemile which oh, yeah. is a a married couple uh, and they got into this habit of uh, walking to the cinema on their way discussing the movie they were about to see. And then on the way back, discussing the movie they just seen, the journey being about a mile each way. Uh, and in COVID, I think they've had to resort to uh, variations of that format. But that idea of anticipating the movie, watching it, and then reflecting on it, I thought would work well for us. Yeah, and I think the the format is part of what sort of brought me in from the beginning too. Is like there is a trivia section. <laughs> there is a sort of uh, a research section. Um, talk about how all of that started to come together and like, what are the fun parts for each of you? Again, I think it all happened fairly straightforwardly. As we started thinking about it, uh, I think uh, I wrote a long email saying, would something like this work? And there were a few things that we changed, but it's been remarkably stable actually yeah. yeah sometimes you discover oh that was a terrible idea we should never do that again when yeah. you start off on a project but actually we made some pretty good guesses right from the very beginning so and I, I thought we might want to switch it up each year in terms of the area of research but we absolutely love our lanes yeah we love <laughs> our lanes they suit our brains i think um and it just was, I, you know, I, I, I was having such a good time researching the year in film. I was like, well, I don't want to hog it if, if, if Tom, you know, is doing every ceremony, like he might want to. Tom's like, no, no, yeah. very happy. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, no, thank you. Move along. Um, so we, well, and that I think has been great. It's just been zero conflict. We, for three years, we have completely stayed in our lanes and, and loved them. But I think, like I said, our brains suit the research. To be honest, when you ask, like, what's the fun part? There's no real not fun part. Like, mm. and we did that for that reason. We're all in the creative mm -hmm. industries. Um, and we, it was like, how can we just have a little corner of joy for ourselves? And it'd be nice if people came along and listened. And I think that's, you know, the best reason to get into doing a, a, a venture like this. Um, and I think that, you know, that you're all having fun absolutely comes across on the show. And it's part of what makes it so inviting. Um, you are all, you know, writers and actors. Um, how do you juggle? Like, this is a big undertaking. How are you juggling this? You're Lots watching a film every Lots week. Of spreadsheets. Well, no, <laughs> yeah. every, every other week, to be fair. Okay. But that's why it's taken us three and a half years to watch 92 <laughs> films, because we, we put an episode out every two weeks. That's mm -hmm. still so, I mean, I'm recording one or two podcasts a month and it still feels like a lot, you know, and trying to get my other work done. How are you all juggling this? And what is the other stuff you're working on just to give folks some some sort of basic knowledge of yourselves? Well, the two words in how we juggle it is Tom Selinsky. Like Tom keeps the train on the tracks 100 percent and he does a lot of invisible work and 
John Tourney and I are like, well, this is wonderful and oh, how lovely. And then I realised that, you know, Tom has done, yeah, ever so slightly we're the, we're the swan and Tom's the, Tom's the paddle, paddling fiercely underneath, I think. Um, and even though we're like, should we chip in with that? But like, it's, it's still very much the three of us, but Tom just, you're, he's, he's an amazing podcast producer. Um, he, his podcast, The Guilty Feminist, is this like enormous worldwide hit. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, so you just kind of, this felt, I suppose, maybe like compared to what you undertake with The Guilty Feminist and all those guests and live audiences all the time, this, this must feel, I mean, how, I, mean, I probably should have asked this before at some point in the three years, but how, how, how's it been for you? <laughs> and, and, and also we're passionate about it. Like Tom isn't having, mm-hmm. no one's prodding anyone going, guys, come on. Like we're, you know, we're, we're so eager to do, to do this. I can't yeah, remember what was... the question was, but I agree with everything just said. Okay. <laughs> but Tom, I mean, Tom, you're you're you are taking on so much of the production, and then the research also is a big part of it. And I know you're you're often watching, if not all of, at least big parts of the uh, Oscar broadcast that you talk about. Like, how how are you getting on with your life? Oh, I don't know if there's an answer to that, other than yeah, it is just just planning ahead. That's mm-hmm. the the boring answer. It's funny because uh, I cut my teeth in the world of show business as uh, an improviser. And I think if I do have a kind of secret power, it's that I can very accurately split the difference between having a plan and needing a plan. Like I'm super good at making a plan and knowing what the future is supposed to look like, but I also know when to throw that plan away because it's no longer useful. Uh, yeah. It took me a long time to learn that, by the way, but it's a very, very useful skill to have. I know plenty of people who miss that target one way or the other who are super inflexible. And the plan's the plan. Why are we changing the plan now? And who said we should change the plan? And people are like, well, I'll just see what happens. Uh, and you've listened to those podcasts, I imagine. <laughs> we do. But the, like, like that's. I think you're absolutely right. That's the combination that makes for a great producer. Um, and uh, is it? has this whetted your appetite to sort of take that into other realms, into more audio, into more uh, television, film, that kind of thing? As producer? Yeah. I don't know. I, somebody asked me once, uh, it was a, a fan of The Guilty Feminist after a show, said, what exactly does a producer do? And I thought for a minute, and I, th- I said, I think it's all the jobs no one else wants to do. Yeah, that seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, a, this is a passion project. And yeah. uh, I think Jess was asking me, do I feel differently about best pick than I do about guilty feminist? And I guess the difference is best pick is mine. Whereas with guilty feminist, any big artistic decisions, I would leave to Deborah. I will occasionally pitch ideas or make suggestions, but ultimately it's her show. She's the face of it. And she has to stand behind it hundred um, percent. The nice thing about this is it's mine, which I, by which I mean, it's ours. And the only reason I'm comfortable saying it's mine is because as Jess says, this has been such a smooth experience so far. And we've, re- we've rarely had to have a, a two against one majority rules because 99% of the time we've been in accord. Yeah, yeah it's, I think it's really wonderful. good to think of a time, which, which is is rare. Like this isn't for everyone, you know. I think I think my, my biggest piece of advice, not that this was a question, but it just occurred to me: if you're going to make a podcast, make sure it's with people you really, really like, because it's yeah. it's not exactly massively. Um, it doesn't make a lot of money, and it's it's a lot of time. It's a massive. So you just you just got to make sure. But Ben, you very sweetly asked us um what if we were you know what projects we were working on, and and one of the best pick um pod team has recently won an award in America. Yay! So, that will be me. Yeah. That will be John He's Just won a writing great. award. Do you want to talk about that? What, what is it? So so 
some lovely feed work there from Jess, has to be said. Uh, yeah, I I, um, I write audio drama quite a bit of that. That's my sort of my day job. And I mainly write uh, for a company called Big Finish, Doctor Who audio plays based on using the actors from the original TV series. Um, and and that's great fun. And we won an Audi for uh, sort of best original uh, drama uh, relatively recently in New York in the middle of the night. It was quite exciting. I kind of woke up <laughs> quite bleary eyed. And just kind of let everyone try to check the time on my phone and just thought, oh, we appear to have won an award. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, which, is, which is considering it's quite quite a nice little award to have won. Yeah, and that's um, that's great fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got to write for all manner of amazing actors. I've, I've written for sort of Derek Jacobi and John Hurt and most recently sort of David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston. Uh, and, and you know all, all the gamut of the other people uh, uh, along the lines, really. And that's uh, and and uh, Jess has been in some of the stuff, and yeah. Tom has written but some as well. Him. He's got me in. He's got me in yeah. for a few, a few um, space well, you know. space soldiers. Um, yeah, I, I remember I, I did get one. I did get a gig on it once, and and you were like, "No, oh, no, don't tell me about that." And I was like, "Maybe I got it on my own merit, Tori." <laughs> but it was. <laughs> it can happen. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stranger things and all that. Um, not to go too far afield, but I, I let's talk about audio for a second. Um, there's, in my experience, and, and having done a, a bit of this myself, uh, there's something so satisfying about scripted audio in the size of it um it's it's you know you're working so directly with actors you're there are so few other parties involved trying to get in your way or compromise the thing um so you're getting to like bring your friends in to to work on it uh, whether it's as actors or directors or musicians or whatever it is um I'm, i'd love to hear just a little bit about First of all, where folks can find some of the audio dramas that you've worked on, John, but also like what are what are you getting from a show like Best Pick that you don't get from scripted audio? Um, so if, in, t- in terms of my stuff, usually www.bigfinish.com. Uh, you can find search my name and it'll be lots of things there. Though some of them are on Spotify. So uh, I, I think wrote a couple of episodes of a thing called Jago and Lightfoot that are on Spotify. Oh, and one, a Doctor Who called Foe from the Future, which is one of my favourite ones, and that's definitely one. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. I got terribly excited because I was able to driving around um, uh, um, Paul Freeman, uh, who, if I remember rightly, was the, the, the main villain in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is a, <laughs> uh, which is a slightly strange set of circumstances uh, to find yourself in. Um, and yeah, he's the villain in that. Um, and yeah, in terms of, um, and when you say in terms of what what you get out of. Um, a podcast like Best Pick as opposed to audio drama. I mean, from I, I, I presume you get sort of slightly different things, really. And from my perspective, obviously, um, Best Pick is largely just like a, a fun thing I do on the side because, you know, you don't want to be um, earning your crust for everything. Um, but in terms of in, in terms of the listener, I mean, hopefully, it, 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 it's, it's a very different sort of thing. I mean, there is there is a certain degree of drama. There is a certain degree of tension from the pod anyway, in theory, because, you know... <laughs> Did, did, the did the true. academy make the right choice? Most of the time, no, they really do. <laughs> um, but there's also the tension of, of what's what's going to be. Um, what are we going to pick instead? Um, uh, yeah. How am I going to annoy Jess this week? Uh, you know, it, it, it's all those manner of things like that. Um, so I, I think, in a weird way, it's almost a drama in itself. All, all good pods kind of are a certain degree of uh, 
a, a degree of dramatic uh, connection between the people involved. And and otherwise, why are you listening? You've got to have some sort of twists and turns, I'd say. We end each episode Absolutely. picking out which film we're going to watch next. And there was one occasion I seem to remember on Facebook when not long after the episode had been published, somebody commented about the film that was coming up and someone else said, genuinely upset, that was a spoiler for the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> That's so adorable. It's it's very cute. It's very cute. Um, it's just interesting talking about audio drama because it's the most liberating work as an actor because it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. You know, there's, there's nothing you can't play. I, I do a lot of video games. And sort of the biggest one I've done recently is Assassin's Creed Valhalla, you know, and I'm all kinds of badasses on that, but you know, they won't, they won't let me kill orcs in real life. So, so yeah, it's, 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 it's really fun from that point of view. Um, and, and the bits of radio drama I've done are like, you, you, cause there's an unlimited budget with audio. Yeah. You, know, you can be fighting space lasers and <laughs> that's fine. That's Tuesday. You know, it's great. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Academy Awards and let's talk about the, I love the, when you all disagree uh, about <laughs> Whether it's uh, should this have won Best Picture or even just about, you know, as you go through the films themselves, we should say like part of the format of the show is you all tend to watch as many of the nominees uh, as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like there's this great wealth of knowledge and information that you all come armed with to uh, the conversation. And when you all disagree, it's in the most uh, agreeable way. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's really fun to listen to um, because it feels like nobody feels bad about their opinion. No one's made to feel bad about their opinion. No. Um, but also like you're all friends. And I think, again, that comes across. Um, and let's just stop here for one moment to say, if you want to see these friends agree and disagree about <laughs> uh, a series of movies. Uh, we're doing a live show on May the 1st uh, on houseseats.live, the um, virtual venue that my wife and I created last year. And um, it's kind of a super Oscars. Uh, Tom, do you want to talk about this idea, which is, I think, yeah, so, so much fun? So this is a game that we were going to play probably on our last episode, uh, and we've uh, retrofitted it to, to suit uh, houseseats.live in a live show. So this is the idea. We're all going to put ourselves, as we have done many times before, in the shoes of the Academy voters. But the field of films that we have to pick from is not the films released in a particular calendar year. It's the 92 winners of Best Picture. So from that list of 92 films, we're each going to make our choice of Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, whether that's original or adapted, Best Actor and Best Actress. And just to complicate matters for us, I'm also going to say that we can't pick any film more than once. However, we're going to have a guest on for each category. And obviously that constraint doesn't apply to them because they're already going to pick for their own category. Uh, but that's the constraint that we've got. And I've, I've, I don't know if you guys have started to think about this. I've changed my mind at least three times uh, since I put this together. <laughs> so at the time of recording, I don't know what my answers are going to be. Uh, I've, one category I think is a lock and that's as far as I'm prepared to go. Oh my gosh. I haven't even, I can't I haven't even considered anything. No, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's too big a thought at the moment, really. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's such a vast... Uh, conceptual idea to kind of tick through 92. I, I think I'm going to possibly do one of those um, uh, pick which of these do you prefer of two things mm. lists you can get though that might only just work with the films and even then it's, then there's just a point where you find yourself 
picking between two where you go, well, which one do I honestly prefer of these two? That's a, it's like the middle and the bottom, fairly obvious. The ones I can dismiss, <laughs> but yeah. there's maybe about 10 right at the top where you're going, I mean, oh, it could be any of these really, if I'm being absolutely honest. Uh, and we have some terrific guests lined Amazing up for this guests. show, um, including, but not limited to, uh, Rachel Bloom, uh, who we all love from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, John Ross Bowie from The Big Bang Theory, uh, and Michaela Watkins, one of my favourite performers. Uh, she's in, a, in an amazing Hulu show, which I think she co-created as well, called Casual, uh, which is show. fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and she was on SNL and a very short-lived sitcom called Trophy Wife, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't as bad as it sounds. No, Trophy Wife was surprisingly great. Yeah. Uh, um, all of these folks uh, were so excited to jump in. Like, they're all movie buffs. They're also also the same kind of sort of listeners that I think we all are. And are like excited to do there that. There are people. Um, so that is May 1st. Uh, uh, get your tickets at houseseats.live. And it's pay what you want. Mm. Um, so pay these guys some money. Uh, let's talk about rewatching these films. Um, you are all film buffs, um, and then presumably you've seen you'd seen a lot of these films already, or these ninety-two films yeah. over the course of your lives. But this was an opportunity to visit new ones and revisit old ones. And I'm really curious to hear about the revisiting. And you do frequently talk about this on the show. Um, but if there are ones that come to mind where a revisit um, either showed something new and made you, you know, give you a new appreciation of a film or showed you something new and gave you the opposite of a new appreciation of a film, that's what I'm really interested to hear about. I think a recent example of the scales falling from our eyes is Birdman, a movie yes. which I remember really enjoying. And I had this kind of slightly queasy feeling as I was watching it this time around and I couldn't. I couldn't at first articulate what was putting me off. And so I was looking for things to like, uh, but just zeroed in on it very precisely. Uh, and then I think both John and I had the feeling of going, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Over what the course of the conversation. When was yeah. I succinct? That it was a misogynistic pile of crap, I think. Oh, that, that bit. Yeah. It doesn't know that it is, though. That's the thing. That's yeah. like the agenda of the film. It doesn't realize that it is, but it can't help itself. And then it sort of becomes this um, you almost trickling into layers of meta going, well, is it is it so clever that that's sort of, and then you're like, no, stop giving this film way more credit than it deserves. Um, you know, Michael Keaton is just the most likable performer. And I think if it wasn't, you know, and, and there are some such great performances in it. But that, that, yeah, that was one. I think that's the second time. Time. Um, I re-listened to Crash recently, and you, you, you fellas were so game for it. You were like, "Let's what see if Jess every is being harsh." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because here's the thing: we really want to love these films. We, we, we're not here to slag mm. stuff off and kind of dunk on people's hard work. We're, that's not what we're interested in. One of the reasons we picked Best Picture was they're good they're we're not punching down you know mm. they've got an oscar they can literally like wave in our face going see you losers enjoy your podcast you know so it, it never feels <laughs> like desperately unfair to, to, to kind of you know take something down um i think one that oh what was uh one that i was really surprised by was um i think this is, oh, all about eve 
I knew it was a classic, but actually it felt so vital and modern. Sometimes when you look at ones in the 50s, you know, everyone kind of thinks the 40s, the 40s. But um, All About Eve and From Here to Eternity, mm-hmm. all the women have the funny lines. All the women have the zingers. Yeah. And that's really, that's like, oh, when did this stop ha- happening? 1971. Gotcha. Oh, so true. <laughs> Yes, the French Connection or whichever it was. Um, uh, yes, when men came to rule cinema. Um, so yeah, that they're they're kind of my po- positive revisits. Even though I, I liked them to begin with, but I was yeah. just like, "Huh, this is amazing!" <laughs> like, what? This is this is uh, disappointing that this feels progressive, and it's from interesting. The- yeah. yeah, and also, yeah. I mean, I think you're right that it's it's surprising how, especially all about Eve, that that one comes to mind um, immediately. That like. They do feel very modern. Oh my. They, like there's no, mm. there's no having to slow your brain down to watch these films. Now you better strap on and try and keep up with yeah. all, all, all the all the zingers flying around. And um, what about you guys? What about you guys? Any crushing oh, disappointments? Or- I, 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 I think there hasn't really been an example of one that I loved that I've then come back and rewatched and found that I hated. Uh, though, though, having said that, there's 90 of them. We've been doing it for three and a half years. I, I might have forgotten one. I, think, I, 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 I can think of definitely a few where I'd seen them probably when I was too young or when I hadn't seen enough films. So actually, it's odd that to mentioned From Here to Eternity, which in my head I'd remembered seeing and kind of going, yeah, that's all right, and really loved it this time. Um, but everything else, I think often there is the case of something I didn't like I now hate more than I did before. That, that, that is definitely because because we are putting yeah. a microscope on it. We are really looking at it under glass, and we're like, "You don't hold together at all. How dare you?" Yeah, um, Braveheart was one of those. Oh, yeah, T- Tom nearly a ba- like I I remembered it as like um you know listen Irish people have a special relationship with Braveheart okay for for obvious reasons you know my 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 enemy's enemy is my friend kind of thing uh so like we were. You know, and there was it was very cathartic in an Irish cinema to watch Braveheart, um, and particularly all the extras were Irish soldiers, and you know, defeating the English. That was hey, what am I going to tell you? It was very enjoyable. Um, but rewatching it, you're like, oh no, it, it's not good. It's not good. It's just not good. It's just not good. <laughs> Beautiful score. Beautiful score. That's all. I think that's something that we tend to say. It's like James Horner is doing the most in some films that don't work, like Braveheart yeah. and The Beautiful Mind. Um, but Tom nearly got violent. I mean, you know. I think I said at one point, "Who do I have to kill to get off this podcast?" Yeah, and it was like you, could, you just, you just. Mel Gibson, it. basically. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was. It was not. It was not what we were. Even even if even in a kind of a well, times have changed and films are different. It's like no, no, this is this is bad. <laughs> Was that, um, I mean, I don't want to get too negative, but was that the bottom of the barrel for you? No, no, not for me. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, I think Patton was the one that made me the angriest. Oh, really? I, I'd probably still go Braveheart, to be honest, if I'm, if I'm, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a tough call. It's, it's, you know. Listen, it made, it made be- us a lot of money in Ireland, okay? The tourism board did really well out of Braveheart, so like, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to dunk on that, like. Um, but yeah, let's not forget Crash. Crash is still uh, hanging around, sticking yeah. the place up. Cr- Crash. Crash is at least short. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an hour shorter than the other two. If you basically, if you put a gun to my head and said you've got to watch one of these films again, I would firstly think 
why the hell are you doing that? That's a very strange thing to do. <laughs> uh, but then I would probably go, well, it'd be crash because it's only it's only about an hour and 50 minutes. Whereas, you know, that, that, that's... I'd probably watch Braveheart again, I think. I'd probably... Really? Would... Yeah, for the music and the garden. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for Brendan Gleeson and the music and, you know, Irish fellas in kilts, like, oh, I'm okay, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's got at least packs wandering around eating the furniture. Yeah, oh, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> there's something to, um, you mentioned, you know, the length of these films, and I wonder if there are certain trends that you all have noticed uh, across the Academy Award-nominated film spectrum. I believe I'm right in saying that the longest film among the nominees uh, wins 40% of the time, hmm. when you'd expect 20% given five nominees. Hell of a trend. Uh, so, yeah, there is definitely a trend towards length. I think there's a, a sort of lazy assumption among some Oscar voters that length equals gravity, equals purpose, yeah. equals weight. Uh, so uh, there's that. And then you can definitely see trends from sort of decade to decade, one of the, I think, slightly regrettable trends is that after about 1950, the Academy virtually turns its back on comedy. Mm-hmm. You have The Apartment, which is often described as a comedy, but compared to a lot of Billy Wilder's work, really it isn't. It's a sort of yeah. romantic drama with funny lines and some kind of sitcom performances, but it's not really a comedy at its heart. You've got Tom Jones, which is probably a comedy, but I mean... Tom Jones is entirely its own thing. It defies uh, genre, in yeah. fairness. Uh, you uh, got to wait an awfully long time before any other comedies turn up. But in the first few years, uh, you know, all, all movies were considered equal. So you have movies like It Happened One Night oh. uh, and You Can't Take It With You, winning Best Picture, standing toe-to-toe with worthy biopics and epics like Gone With The Wind. But uh, that's, a, that's a, very, a very obvious, very strong trend. Like and then there's a, a weird right. thing that in the 60s, Big budget musicals start winning awards mm-hmm. after the the really good musicals, the MGM after Arthur Freed musicals had had slightly withered on the vine. I wonder if you could do a bit of prognosticating. Um, I think we're living in a time of um, genre fluidity. Uh, where, you know, I think maybe maybe it's the get out effect. Uh, maybe, you know, genre films, which I, which include comedy, are getting a little more respect. They can be about something. Um, and I wonder if we're going to see more genre, more horror, more action, more comedy start to be taken seriously. I mean, the, the reason, as I talked about, the Academy doubling the number of Best Picture nominees was, I think, because they were getting into a bit of a rut in the 90s with it all being quirky indie dramas and nothing else. And so as soon as you double the number of nominees, you have things like Mad Max Fury Road being nominated for Best Picture, which is something it's hard to imagine an earlier Academy doing. But it is often possible, probably not with that one actually, but it's often possible to divide the list into the five that have a chance of winning and the three, four or five that are there to make up the numbers. I remembered what I was going to say, um, ah. just talking about sort of genre fluidity, um, you can't take it with you really feels like a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, but, but I don't think we would ever bet on a Wes Anderson film winning Best Picture, even no. though something like the Grand Budapest Hotel would be such a worthy winner, considering, I can't remember what it was up against that year, but like just just that the scope of it, the, the, the kind of the freshness of it, you know, 
um, and the fairy tale that it sort of takes you on, it does transport you. And that, I mean, that's very much what you can take it with you does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the key thing is is less going to be them getting nominated. It's more going to be one of these films properly winning. I mean, obviously, we had like Return of the King is probably the most recent actual proper genre, genre one. And that felt, even at the time, like it was a reward for being the size and scale it was, rather than that. It was almost begrudging. It the felt shape to be good. Awesome. Shape of Water, even then, that's, I suppose that's kind of ballpark. I think even, a bit more Oscar baity than. Yeah. It's a bit yeah. of a Trojan horse Oscar bait. But, it's like, it's so different, is it? But then I did think that. Um, it's an art house light. I, I did feel genuinely disappointed that neither Infinity War or Endgame got nominated. And I appreciate that that's like the longer version of the list. But you are thinking, this is genuinely the biggest movie of all time, and it is pretty good at what it wants to do. Uh, and is also a remarkable piece of alchemy. Um, you, you felt that it could have done with like a nomination, and he, I, yeah, I wasn't going to, wouldn't have expected it to win particularly. But it felt like no, it, it, it feels like you acknowledge that this is a thing that is very successful and kind of very good in its own way. Significant. That's the other big trend, actually, from the twenties to basically the seventies. The best picture winning movie was always in the American box office top twenty. Mm-hmm. Often in the top ten, and sometimes it was number one. Right mm-hmm. for for any decade, there were one, two, three, four, uh, number one film at the box office, best picture at the Oscars, because that's what the Oscars were for. They were for rewarding big popular films that have been successful. Now we have this sort of two two tier system, where it's like you don't need an Oscar; you already have a gazillion dollars. We're going to give the Oscar to the film that uh, that five people saw and two of them were the director. Uh, and there is a certain logic to that, you know. It does, it does sort of make sense, but it does, it does create this sameness. Uh, and what it means as well is that we are way past the era when Titanic wins Best Picture and 50 million Americans tune in to watch the Oscars broadcast. Now it's yeah. like uh, they'll be lucky this year to crack 20 million, I think. Yeah, and we are also yeah. in an unusual year, right? Like yeah. looking at looking at this year's nominees. Um, I think we do have a really interesting mix. I mentioned uh, before we started re- recording, this is the first year I've both wanted to watch and have watched most of the Oscar-nominated movies, um, and they've been really good. Uh, overall, even something like um, The Trial of Chicago 7, which I did not want to watch uh, because I like I know Sorkin, I know what he does, I get it. Um, it's a really watchable movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a really watchable, enjoyable, you know, two hours. Um, but Sound of Metal and Minari, um, Nomadland, like these are all legitimately great movies. And it made me wonder, have I been missing out the past few years also? No, <laughs> I don't think so. That's, I'm glad to know that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this is finally, well, no, I wouldn't say you've not been missing out. I mean, we obviously, you know, still dedicated chunk of life to the pursuit of this podcast we obviously love the Oscars but at the same time this is I think there's something about uh, the combination of it being a very unusual year all bets are off and then the um finally the complexion of the the academy changing uh in a in a meaningful way not in a lip service way and I think that and I think actually after the Golden Globes as well I think people were like it's not even funny anymore it's not even funny it's just it's just gross like we, we just, it's just gross now it's embarrassing now and that was something that really um was interesting in my research that um say a film like Carmen Jones which came out the same year as From Here to Eternity oh no on the waterfront 
that was number seven in the box office, right? It made nine million. On the waterfront, which won that year, was number 14, and it made half as much. People were going to um, black-made films about black people, and they this was being ignored by the academy then and it's been ignored so much now but like it's it's it didn't just start with spike lee you know there was so much being overlooked like and and i know i'm probably stating the obvious to so many but this was a discovery for me you know so i like to kind of go there's there's this is this has been such an endemic issue and these films make money you know um so i've kind of got a bit of a tangent but um yeah what do the chaps think about it's, the, uh, how, the, the yeah the numbers. it's absolutely the case that um you know you know I've, I've said this before in the podcast that frustration uh, of, of like that Sony leak where they was saying um oh you know female superhero films don't make money because because we tried it with Catwoman we tried it with Elektra we tried it with Supergirl yeah there's a reason they didn't make money <laughs> terrible I, and I say that t- without having seen two of them I should specify but, but I, I'm, I'm curious to see for, for me the next thing is what, how it's going to work next year because mm-hmm. uh, as we say obviously this is an unusual year a lot of the big sort of potential uh, flagships of the studios of, of, of potential Oscar bait haven't been released and so it's ended up with slightly smaller things that were always going to have a small release breaking through and it's the degree to which um uh, that is going to continue next year uh, whether whether it'll get swamped by the bigger ones again whether there'll be a sense for the academy that i think can occasionally happen potentially of them, of them go well hey we're, we're we're diverse you saw what happened last year let's just vote for white people again i'm curious to see how it goes um and and whether if there isn't someone around saying saying you are paying attention to what you're doing aren't you whether they'll just kind of fall back in bad habits but um but i've got my fingers crossed as i say it's as you say it's an exciting lineup and i've enjoyed all of the ones i've seen so far and i've got three left to go and i'm very much looking forward to all of them and because they all seem interesting and sound interesting and different and taking me to places with people i have i'm not familiar with really so um yeah, I can barely wait to get back on. Because generally, I think one of the hardest things about this podcast, and we definitely hit a wall with the, the 2000s and the 2010s, mm. of the sort of homogeneity. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that correctly? Homogeneity? Homogeneity? It's how we're going with it, so run with it. <laughs> it yeah, so just, just yeah, like the, we, we were just watching just such kind of American-centric, white male narratives not even from the 70s you know when we finished that decade like and it just got really kind of like I felt I did feel like my my scope narrowing and I was kind of like as much as this has been such a joy I'm so ready I'm ready to stop wading through these films and watch only films from South Korea for you know six to eight months and then just just go around the world because um it it, it, it can, that's when it can really feel like a slog when you're just like oh these stories aren't telling me anything new but they're just really beloved you know by the academy did you feel anything like that tom did you ever find that yeah i i think i think the way i look at it is i think i think moonlight is such a key film mm. when you look at this list of best picture winners and it's even 12 years a slave from a few years earlier Still feels, you know, even though I kind of um, grumbled about various aspects of it, it, it still feels kind of conventional. You can imagine an academy five years earlier, ten years earlier, uh, uh, giving that lots of Oscars. Maybe not Best Picture, but <laughs> the list, you know, Billion Dollar Baby, Crash, The Departed, No Country for I am reading this, No Country for Old Men, 
uh, the Hurt Locker, the King's Speech, you know, as Jess says, it's this incredible homogeneity. And then Spotlight comes along and it's such a crime. Uh, sorry, Moonlight comes along and it's such a crime that its moment of glory was fumbled the way it was, mm. which is partly why in our episode I go through in such forensic detail as to exactly how that happened, why, and who we should all blame. Because it is cruel that we were led to believe that the Academy had done what we suspected they were going to do and give it to yeah. La La Land, which is so like, up the Academy's street and was so a continuation of that story. And they didn't. They'd, they'd given it to Moonlight and the, the truth eventually came out. But that win will always be slightly tainted by that. But everything after Moonlight has been at the very least unpredictable. The Shape yes. of Water, again, is not not my favourite, but I like the idea of an Academy that could give their top prize to that film. Parasite, extraordinary. First time that a film Glorious. not in English language won Best Picture. Green Book, all right, that doesn't quite fit, fit the narrative that I'm propounding, but at least it's sort of... <laughs> Lobbing something in the direction of uh, not just uh, all white men all the time, yeah. even if mm. it's misguided. I think its intentions are good. I think it's sort of two two steps forward, one step back, but yeah. we're still moving forward. You know, yeah. but it was magical to be doing this podcast and to be all together as we were for Parasite's win. Yes, we screamed. We absolutely lost our minds because it felt like things are actually changing because it's not just you know an international film it's a film attacking so much of like capitalist and patriarchal structures like what (laughs) it's got a dark heart it's got nasty moments it's a bit it's a bit horror it's a bit thriller it's like it's not just a genre film it's about three genres seven genres like you know we revisited it not so long ago don't know if that episode's out yet and oh i don't want to spoil the episode or we'll get told off on facebook but um it's uh it was it was a magnificent rewatch um okay spoiled it a i look for yeah i look yeah. forward to listening to that yeah but i think you're really, right really fun. i think we don't expect the winner to be a smart film <laughs> And I think I think that's a kind of a new uh, a new thing that's happening. And looking at this year's list of nominees, you know, there's really I wouldn't be disappointed with almost any of them. Uh-huh. You know, I would be disappointed with one. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would be disappointed with is. one too. <laughs> what one is that, gentlemen? Share. Tom, what is that? It is disappointing that when everything else is looking so far afield. When we have small films, we have films about issues like uh, hearing loss, immigration, racism, uh, all of these big issues, really kind of uh, groundbreaking films like Promising Young Woman that leading the pack by four full nominations from any other film is mank, which is just Hollywood turning in on itself. And it's not even well done. It's really striking to me that... The movie about how one of the most famous screenplays in the world got written does not itself have a nomination for its screenplay. That, to me, speaks absolute volumes. There have to be some stakes of some kind, where the only stakes there are are the ones which are, A, made up out of whole cloth, and B, don't fit the rest of the true-life events which they've been Hmm. bolted together with. You didn't get to the end, but one of the things that Wells was always a bit shamefaced about is the treatment of Marion Hurst. Mm-hmm. Because the character who sort of fulfills that role, Kane's second wife as opposed to his mistress, is a joke. 
and Kane builds this enormous opera house for her when she has no talent as a singer. And so you're meant to believe that this is Marion Hurst, uh, who was who was uh, uh, Marion Marion Davis, who was Hurst's mistress. But Marion Davis was really talented. Yeah, Marion Davis could have had a fantastic mm. career. And Wells was, you know, interviews afterwards, and in you know, on TV in the seventies, like, yeah, that was a bit of a dirty trick we played. <laughs> so if you watch Mank, the key relationship, and actually the only bit of the film that to me had any kind of dramatic power or pulled me mm. in at all, is the relationship between Mankiewicz and Marion Davis. But you can't screw around with history too much. So Marion Davis becomes his confidant, becomes the person that he runs to when uh, he thinks a terrible injustice is being done because she's the only person who can help. And then what does he do with this trust and affection? Throws her under the bus in his script. And then when it is pointed out to him, in the script, by way, by the way, which is very clear, he could have written in any way he wished. <laughs> when it's pointed out to him, this is what he's doing, he takes no action. So the film doesn't make dramatic sense. It's impossible mm-hmm. to, for me anyway, to buy into these characters because all they're doing is walking in and out of rooms, misquoting their famous witticisms at each other. Yeah. You when you <sighs> said earlier, when you said earlier, Ben, that like um, with Parasite, you were so we're, we're so taken aback when something smart wins. I think a lot of the time, what gets nominated is a dumb person's idea of a smart movie. You know. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like it's a pseudo kind of. It's it's like it it looks it looks like a worthy film, but but it it's not holding together, do, do, you know. And I think yeah. that, that's, that's a trap that the Academy particularly falls into. Well, and it's it's to Tom's point earlier that like because this film is four hours, it must be important, right? Yeah. It must have something to say. Not always the case. Um, all right, very briefly, um, let's let's start to wrap up. Uh, this will come out mid-April, just a few weeks before our special live event, which folks can get tickets to right now at houseseats.live. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun um, and will be much better organized than even this podcast because Tom is doing it and I'm not. <laughs> um, but that's also a week, about a week and a half before the uh, next Academy Awards. And when I listened to you put out your special episode when the nominations came out, um, and it sounded like Nomadland was the choice for most of you. You think most of you think Nomadland is going to take it. Is that still the case? You've seen now more of the films too. I still have plenty of films to see. I okay. will I will catch up so that I can speak fluently. But I think I think um one of the reasons why I haven't seen them all is we're writing a book and we're writing a book about best pick and our all this knowledge has to go somewhere. My goodness. Um so so I've been a bit playing catch up here, but but uh, Tom uh, and and John have been able to uh, watch catch a few more than I have. So they might be in a better better place to um to, to Yeah, I I I've still got three to see. I've still got to see uh, Minari, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Sound of Metal, all of which I'm very much looking forward to. I, mm-hmm. I, I still think I've got my money is on Nomadland. That isn't necessarily me saying that's my favourite, but that's the one that I of think course. he's going to win. And yeah. certainly, I think it looks beautiful. And out of the ones I've seen, I mean, what are the other? What's I'm just trying to remember what the other? Uh, the others Mank, will be what the Mank, no. promising young woman, the father. And yeah. uh, Chicago Seven. Yeah, none of those are, are screaming out at me as being better. So yeah. um, I, I, I've got time for most of them, um, but Nomadland is certainly feeling the one that is one to beat from that list in terms of actual 
what I thought of it at the moment. But as I say, still got three left to see. Yeah. And Tom, you're feeling the same way? I've got a nasty suspicion that Mank might be going to win. Certainly, oh, I think no. it's got a chance of winning. Uh, I definitely think it'll get things like cinematography, production design, that kind of thing, maybe oh. costumes, makeup. Uh, and uh, there are voters who just kind of vote the ticket. He just... Yep. Um, Interestingly, it's not got a nomination for editing as well as not having a nomination for screenplay. Editing is widely seen as a predictor of what will win Best Picture. Hmm. Uh, so if not Mank, then I think, yes, Nomadland it seems to be where the uh, where the momentum is. Of the ones I've watched, the one I think that will stay with me the longest is Minari. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful film. It and truly one those, is. One of those rare films, and this isn't really a spoiler, but uh, there are no bad actors in it, by which I don't mean there are no bad performances. I mean, there are no, no people with evil intent uh, because that, that doesn't mean there are no stakes. It just means yeah. that there are no moustache-twirling bad guys who are trying okay. deliberately to make things go wrong for our heroes. It's just that life is hard. That. <laughs> well, that's, I love that. That reminds me a little bit of shoplifters. Like, there wasn't mm, yes. a, bad, a baddie in shoplifters. There was, it was life was hard was the villain for sure. One of the yeah. things I didn't like about Mary Poppins Returns is it inserts a bad actor into a story that it has already been demonstrated does not need one. There is no bad actor in the original Mary Poppins with Julie Andrews. The story is about George Banks reconnecting with his family, but the new one isn't anything like as subtle or as complicated. And so we have an almost literally moustache-twirling bad guy uh, whose evil plan to uh, repossess the bank's home, again, doesn't really make any sense when you start looking at it, uh, which we are unfortunately encouraged to do. <laughs> well, and that's why Mary Poppins Returns uh, won Best Picture. <laughs> we'll always remember the great upset. Oh, God, Never can you imagine? Jesus. <laughs> I, listen, I do remember getting a screener for Mary Poppins Returns and going, really? They want us to consider this? <laughs> You're like, what's this audacious <laughs> post I've received? Exactly. What, what am I, what what am I considering, this, returns? You, am I you considering this for? A coaster. You forget <laughs> clearly the, the 20th century Fox uh, whose response to Disney's Mary Poppins was the Rex Harrison starring Dr. Doolittle, uh, which had got a critical pasting and hadn't made as much money as anticipated. And they went all out for its Oscar success. They, they uh, were inviting critics to steak dinners in order to try and persuade them that this movie had some kind of merit. And it nearly worked, uh, but it's a terrible film. <laughs> There isn't uh, enough Cabernet Sauvignon in the world. <laughs> I've never seen uh, Dr. Doolittle, but I did make it one quarter of a Chicago through uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Do you know uh, a, uh, a YouTube series called, I think it's called Musical Hell? No. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun series where uh, the narrator uh, picks a musical film uh, and uh, and takes it to task point by point before deciding what eternal punishment uh, it should have to pay for its sins. Uh, and so if you want a kind of breezy summary of a, a bad film you're probably not going to sit down and watch, uh, then you can check out her episode on Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> that sounds terrific. Um, we always end this podcast, um, my half of this podcast, with, by asking what you are watching lately, what is getting you excited or inspired? Are there movies that you've discovered through watching all of these Oscar nominees and winners that you want to recommend to folks that they might have overlooked. Um, and John, let's start with you. Um, specifically movies. Okay. Yeah. I, um, 
I think I'm, I'm going to dive in. The one that strikes me, uh, out of all the films watched, and this is one of the best picture-winning films, so I might as well mention it, but it was a huge surprise to me because it was two and a half hours and it was silent, um, which should have been slightly less enticing than it was. Yeah, Wings is glorious and amazing. And, really? Um, yeah. Start with the beginning. It, start at the beginning. Um, and uh, I would suggest we had discussions about this because we all basically trained ourselves like watching lots of silent films in the lead up to it probably worth the worth the while you know get a few of those and do the general do some do some laurel and hardy and begin to like build up so you've got the tolerance do, don't, don't dive in with metropolis and wings straight away um but yeah wings was and also it's worth kind of this is one of the ones i found also particularly interesting by virtue of what i do on the podcast which is describe the making of it the mm -hmm. making of it is astonishing and absolutely um yeah helped me appreciate the film even more really. oh, wow. so i thoroughly recommend wings um it, 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 yeah you've got to focus and concentrate but it, it's definitely worth your time excellent well i'll recommend that folks listen to the first half of that episode uh so they yeah. can hear about the making of it and put it in context and all of that and mm -hmm. then go and watch the movie when you all go watch the movie uh that's what i'm gonna do i can't wait i've never seen it that's cool it's terrific um, jess any recommendations i mean yeah, I, I I think um I wouldn't recommend I'm almost hesitant to to recommend this during the, the, the pandemic, but as we're sort of emerging out of it and getting our jabs and, and all of that. And uh the best years of our lives. Again, it's another best picture winner. I know I should give some obscure, you know, mm. French film that I've discovered, but but the best years of our lives is quite obscure. It's just been sort of forgotten you know, mm -hmm. as this incredible slice of wonderful American cinema that, you know, uh, doesn't really put a foot wrong. And again, like From Here to Eternity, um, feels so much more modern than it is, has any right to feel. But it, uh, it has one of my favourite last frames um, in any of the films that we've watched ever. And it's uh, we, we've really become big William Wyler fans on this podcast. Again, mm. you know, you hear about Capra and Hitchcock and all these guys, but Wyler could kind of do anything. And therefore, they're often the, the, the ones that, you know, he wasn't like this auteur, but he could facilitate something mm. extraordinary. So, um, you know, look into William Wyler and, uh, and, and definitely check out the, the best years of our lives because it's so... It's so tender and wonderful, you know, and it's yeah, and it's it's very hard to do those films, I think, to, and just just hit and never become saccharine or trite. Mm. Yeah, it's from the absolutely, 40s, I think, yeah, from the forties that one. Excellent, thank you, and Tom. A film I've never seen before, which I watch for the podcast, is Notorious, <laughs> which uh, may just have become my favorite Hitchcock film. It's between that and the Thirty Nine Steps. Uh, I had, uh, I don't think I even fully understood that this picture existed. And <laughs> with um, Hitchcock, as Dawny's pointed out before, is so many of his films have basically interchangeable titles. Uh, and that one just sort of slipped through the uh, the colander of my brain uh, and uh, not registered. It's got Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, who are basically two of the most beautiful humans ever to have existed on the planet, shot in luminous black and white. And oh, the story makes it. sense all the way through. And there is one absolutely incredible camera shot, which I don't know how you could achieve it today without CGI. Uh, which, oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? Starts at the top of a staircase, comes down uh, through a party, and eventually ends up behind Ingrid Bergman's yeah. back, close up yeah. on her hand. Oh my gosh. I don't know how you it's did that. It's just phenomenal. Oh. Um, 
A, a weird experience in the last week was uh, sitting down and watching a movie which wasn't nominated for anything or in any Oscar conversation or part of a year of searching. <laughs> it had come up in conversation and I hadn't seen it. And actually, I'd heard rather bad things about it and it turned out to be a delight, a total delight. Uh, and that's What's Up Doc with uh, oh, yeah. um, Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. It's fantastic. It's charming. Yeah, it's so charming. So many people try and recreate that screwball comedy feel of those great comedies of the 1940s and don't get it. Uh, mm -hmm. But that really works. And it's just, it's so brazen with its four identical bags. Uh, it just goes, this isn't going to make any sense. Don't worry. Sit back, relax. We've got you. It's fine. I think it slightly goes past the ending. But uh, the first like hour and 20 minutes is just bliss. Uh, and if you want to expand this to not um, uh, to to not movies, I yes. don't know why everybody in the world isn't talking about Search Party. <laughs> oh, I don't know what that is. It's yeah. an American TV series currently on its I think fourth season. I think it's yeah. been renewed for a fifth. Uh -huh. It's got a remarkable cast uh, led by Alia Shawkat, who I've actually been rewatching some early episodes of Arrested Development, and she has improved uh, dramatically. <laughs> And she's not bad in Arrested Development, but it's a child actor doing a kind of child actor performance, or like precocious. You know, I think she was a teenager, but she's really good in this. And oh, she, but she gets does... so good in Arrested Development, though. Like, I'm sure she does. Like, I'm watching season yeah. one. Okay, she completely yeah. becomes like it becomes all about um, her Mary. Is that her? I've, yeah. I've never Maybe. seen a I've never seen a series Maybe. which both is so funny and so dark, and <laughs> manages to reinvent itself seamlessly across four seasons. It's such a hard trick to do. You see so many series which paint themselves into a corner. I mean, just picking one at random, House, for example, there is a limit to the number of times you can completely completely break House down and have him go, right, that's it, my life has changed, I'm never going to be the same again. Oh, shit, we've just killed the series. I'd better go back to my old ways. Right? It just gets repetitive after a while. A house Party is just so nimbly threading its way through four or three, even five over the course of four seasons, different ways of telling stories it's absolutely incredible and i don't know why everyone isn't talking about it <laughs> yes. john early who's one of my favorite john that early, is so funny he's gotten me through lockdown i just watched john i just watched john early clips on youtube <laughs> interviews anything the man has gotten me through lockdown and if you ever see him ben be like you really have an irish girl in london fyi <laughs> <laughs> like i hate him and i want to be his mate at the same time not john early but that character but um john early also did this amazing short film called rachel uh, if you can track it down, it's on for some reason. If you go to Vulture, that that website, because I hmm. tried to find it on Vimeo, tried to find it on YouTube. It's a little dark delight, a little ten minute slice of what now, and very enjoyable it is too. And it's based on a true story. Check out Rachel. Oh, nice, definitely. Well, um, thank you all so much for chatting for so long too. I'm sorry to keep you. Um, I'm excited about our big show May first at House Seats hey. Live. Best pick live. Um, it's going to be fun. I hope. I hope you're all doing your homework. There's a lot. There's a lot to do for this. Yeah. <laughs> we are, and thank you so much for having us, Ben. It's thank you for having us. Indeed, yes. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely, and I can't wait to talk about what's next and the book. Come back on, plug the book when it's time. Um, but in in the meantime, folks should go uh, check out the podcast, pick out uh, your favorite movie or your least favorite best picture winner, and listen to that episode. Uh, thanks again, folks. Take Thank care. you. Bye, Bye for now. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, 
please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.